0: The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Is it on? Oh, there. I can hear it, too. (laughs) Um, It's been a long time since I've been here. And every time I come, it's even more elegant than it was before. Uh, so much work goes into a place like this and so much enthusiasm has gone into this one. I have loved to watch it grow uh, since it first met in a little church down in, on Cowper, I think, uh, many, many years ago. Then uh, it went to the Quaker Meeting House in Palo Alto uh, and then it came out here. And is spreading out even more. I'm so happy about that. And Gil is at Jikoji right now. So <laughs> it feels like everything comes together. <clears throat> Michael's in, in the uh, abbot in charge of Jikoji, and he told me last night that it's like Disneyland right now, with little kids running all over the place. <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> <clears throat> so, um, so last weekend I was in Inverness, and up and down the trails all around Point Reyes. It's such a beautiful time of year. All the wildflowers are in bloom. I've never seen so much cow parsley in my life. And they're huge this year. Big, flat, white, with thick stems, big leaves, and they're all over the hillsides. I was there for a writing workshop which gave us a a a little time together, a group of twelve, and a little time to write together, and then a free time to mm, presumably write, but we kept meeting each other on the trails all day long. <laughs> so I don't know how much writing we got done. <clears throat> but um, when we did meet, we did have a subject And it gave me a turn when the subject was announced because it's always been a kind of of challenge to me or a puzzle. uh, It was about hope. And ever since I read Chogyam Trungpa's, um, one of his very first books, where he he was uh, not enthusiastic about the subject of hope at all, And woke me up to that it could not be necessary to be hopeful about anything. And that maybe it's not even useful to cultivate hope. So it's been following me around ever since. Uh, I brought it home with me, the subject, and um, I keep asking people, you know, what do you think about hope? And are you hopeful? Uh, And how do we do this? It's one more um, icon, um, one more idea that we carry that has developed over time and in some cultures, I think, much more than in others. Though I haven't really gone into that side of it. One of the exercises that we did was to write about when we had a very big hope that was completely demolished by the facts. Um, And everybody eagerly sat down and wrote, there was no question that we all had occasions like that. It happens over and over. You think and you plan and you hope around something, and then inevitably it doesn't work out the way we think. Um, our thinking is so small um, in the largeness of, of all things. Um, we're just uh, uh, just a little blip. And, of course, our thinking is also large because it's, it's what we experience day and night. In our practice, um, the first thing that we learn is that our mind is squirting thoughts all the time, <laughs> whether we want them to or not. And often people begin a practice like this thinking that they're supposed to turn the squirting off. It can't be done. In fact, if you try to stop your thinking, it just uh, gets worse. Because then there are two of you, the one that wants no thinking and the thinking that's going on, and then you're just banging against yourself and making a lot of trouble. (laughs) So once we get into really practicing, we can realize that thinking is inevitable, And we can bow to it. Oh, there it is. There it is. And let it go. Letting go is kind of the essence of this practice. Um, Of everything, of anything, of each thing. Um, We tend not to, of course. We tend to be attached to the things that we like and very um, very against the things that we don't like and would like to get rid of them. But the fact is that all the causes and conditions that go into our life, so many that we could not possibly know what they are, makes every moment a surprise for us if we really look. Every moment is new and really we can't uh, predict what's going to happen. So hope is one way of dealing with that not knowing. Not knowing is a little alarming. Uh, If we really begin to think about it, it, it's kind of scary to realize how little we know. And so we uh, reinforce ourselves with lots of different ways of feeling more secure, more, more grounded. Um, and hope, I think, is one of them. That as long as we can hope for a better future, then we can endure um, or actually ignore what's happening now. We can make up a story about what's going to happen next and hope to feel better. However, it it doesn't really work. And the women's stories in this writing workshop all showed uh, vividly how a beautiful dream, really lovely dreams of of a fulfilled life or something really nourishing and wonderful would happen. And instead of just disaster, (laughs) we all know that. We could, each one of us, tell a story like that. Plan things, it's going to be just like this. And it's like when I uh, and my brothers uh, decided that we would fet our parents when on their 50th anniversary. And we called in all the relatives, the brothers and sisters of our parents, and everyone gathered at this beautiful restaurant, and we Drank toast to them and gifted them and on the way home in the car, my mother said, You know, I don't like parties like that. (laughs) Oh oh." (laughs) so um If we don't shore ourselves up with hope or um, some kind of of story, uh, then we have to exercise what we call trust. Um, And trust, I think, is one of the essences essences of, of our practice that it's crucial to learn how to exercise trust, to accept how little we know, and to open ourselves to what actually can be known, what is happening. There are lots and lots of stories we can make up about what's happening. But if we really do stop, sort of in a Thich not Hanh kind of way, just ring the bell and stop, then suddenly we're just here. And there's no story. We could make up a story, even about being here. Um, And each one of us would have a different story. But the truth is, we're just here. And our great good fortune is that we're able to be here. Our strength and our power is in this moment, right here, right now. Got my notes all wet, so they're hard to read. (laughs) Ran the ink. (laughs) So, another thing that happened in that workshop is that um, an essay was read by um, Shanti about um, enlightenment, Buddha's enlightenment. And uh, the, the essay presented Buddha as having this wonderful enlightenment when everything fell off. The self fell off and all the um, hope and all the kleshas and everything was gone. And Buddha went on to live um, a wonderful life. But the truth of it is, and, uh, this is connected to what the hope thing is, that Buddha struggled so hard under the tree. That was not a pretty picture under the tree. Or a pretty picture beforehand in all the years that he studied and practiced with various teachers and then did the tapas practice in the forest where he almost starved himself to death was not easy. And then, when he was under the tree, he had numerous encounters with what is called Mara, which is every kind of temptation that you could think of. Temptation of power, lust, Every kind of thing. And each time he had to, couldn't run away, he refused to run away. That was his practice, was not running away. Not exercising hope, but looking Mara right in the face and saying, I see you. I see you. And after he'd been through the whole mill of Mara um, and managed to come out the other side, still for the whole rest of his life, Mara came back over and over. Even at the very end of Buddha's life, Mara came and said, Well, Buddha, it's time for you to die now not a very nice guy, really. (laughs) And Buddha said, no, no, not yet. And by that time they were such good friends that Mara said, okay, how about in a month? And Buddha said, fine. It was a very close relationship. And for all of us, I think, the more we're able to face Mara over and over, all through our life, the more freedom we allow ourselves. Because otherwise, it's just gnawing at the back of us, and we're trying to make up stories to protect ourselves from it. And it's all happening anyway. Mara's in the middle of what's happening. And how we face it. If we face it. There's a story about Buddha resting in his kuti and Ananda is guarding the door and Mara comes up and says, "Um, I'd like to see Buddha. And Ananda says, no, no, he's resting. Go away, Mara. Go. And Buddha calls out, who's there, Ananda? And Ananda says, it's just Mara, I'm sending him away. And Buddha said, no, no, let's invite him in for tea. (laughs) So that's another way. Bow to Mara. Be grateful, even, to be able to see how things are, how we are. Not so... Beautiful, but very, very deep and interesting. So, Mara, of course, is um, <coughs> just another way uh, way of explaining what happens to our mind. Um, <coughs> is an inner movement of our thought, our ways, of one of the ways that we try to understand life, this mysterious, really confounding life that we wake up to every morning. Mara can be seen as um, as a representative of <coughs> how our thought becomes uh, fixed. I call it iconic, that we get a fixed idea and then the, the practice of facing Mara is iconoclastic, to break the icon of thought. we tend to hold on to our ideas and to love them and to defend them to the death, almost, sometimes. If we get into politics or religion or, you know, if we get very, very strong about it. But if we understand that our ideas need to be continually broken in order for the light of truth to shine, to shine through. Then the iconoclasm of um, a lot of the teachings, for instance, which seem contradictory and puzzling and disturbing, are iconoclastic. Our teachers can be iconoclastic. Uh, Coben was famous for that. He would um, get us all set up and everything was in place and we were thinking that everything was fine and then he would pull the rug right out from under us and what we thought we knew suddenly we didn't know anymore and we were, oh, oh. But we trusted him and rightly so because he was teaching us to let go. Just to let go. There was a certain point when uh, I was beginning to be asked to do weddings and and things like that, and Coben didn't teach us those things. Um, He always said, make it up. (laughs) Which is really hard. (laughs) It was... So I went to him at a certain point, and I said, Cohen, I really, really need to know how to do this. And he said, I gave you everything. And I thought, oh, so he did. Of course. And then he said, it's all up to you. So I think of that for all of us. It's all up to us each one of us. Actually, there's nothing to have except as a fleeting moment of having. <laughs> I wrote down last night, any place we're firmly attached awaits the iconoclast in our mind. (laughs) It's just sitting there waiting to be smashed. (laughs) So our challenge is to see clearly and be willing to see what is and be willing to change our mind. That's often the hardest thing, just to be willing to relinquish some of those ideas and take in new ones. So I found a quote from an old Chinese uh, teacher out of Red Pine's wonderful book on the uh, Diamond Sutra. He brings in dozens and dozens of other ancient teachers to comment on the the Little Diamond Sutra. So it turns out to be a big, fat book, even the Diamond Sutra is a little, tiny book. And this is about attachment. Non-attachment to attachment is a most wonderful practice. As for how it works, don't be attached to a self within or to others without or to any gift that passes between." Isn't that interesting? For any gift that passes between. Actually, our whole life in relationship is about the between. When things appear, he says, reflect, and let them go. So that's what I brought um, to share with you. And there's time, I think, for um, questions and comments. Lots, lots and lots. <clears throat> ah, I've forgotten the system. This is um, so. I have a question about hope because in
1: healthcare, uh, in healthcare, in taking care of patients, um, sort of one of the tenets is you never want to take their hope away. Uh And as we
0: learn more and more about that scientifically, we know that it mobilizes the immune system, it mobilizes biochemical mediators, um, and
1: it is generally helpful in the body working more succinctly and more efficiently. So how, how would you see that? working with what you're saying about hope.
0: Well, that's very interesting. Um, I know when I had cancer, um, there were uh, several different ways that I was given, or that were suggested to me to to, mm, think about it, think about what was happening to me. And one of them was as a battle that I could, I could, I was strong and well, and I could just, you know, the the bad guys would be beaten by my my immune system and knock them all out. And that seemed so mm, sort of vicious to me. I thought this cancer is part of my body. You know, I don't want to do something bad to it. I'd just like it to go away. So, so I I thought a lot about it, and for me. Um the most helpful was not to hope but just to accept it as it was and uh work on being as as strong and healthy as I could be and it seemed to work because that was 25 years ago so but um I I don't know much about that. I mean, it's all new information, isn't it? So, we'll have to study it more. Because it may be that there are places where hope can be very helpful and useful. But maybe there are other ways to have the same effect, is what I'm thinking, without this sort of false
2: um,
0: encouragement. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. I I have a question. In your way of understanding things, is trust connected to our faith? Faith in the Buddha, Dhamma and Sangha? Well, we talk about confidence and that has faith in it. Fidence is fidelity. Um, so yes, yes, I think that's the only thing we can trust. Thank you for bringing that up, yeah
1: is that there. Well, we i. Feel
3: Schopenhauer would be pleased. You know, he was the great pessimist. Yes. Don't don't lift yourself up and then just fall down. You know, it is what it is.
0: And, uh, mm. you know. Yeah, he was a good Buddhist. <laughs> <laughs> <would> be, yes. <laughs> well, you know, I looked up hope in those big fat Buddha sutra books, and in the index there is no hope in there at all. <laughs> Buddha didn't say a thing about it. <laughs> Several years ago you came right about when we were getting this place and I asked a
1: question about how you would, what's the best way to frame this, this, uh, you know, this new vision, etc. Mm-hmm. And so I'm wondering if you have any update for us that might be interesting <laughs> about our new retreat center. Anything that you would like to say about that?
0: Oh, just hallelujah. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I, I spent a lot of years of my life um, doing, putting together a retreat center. So I know what it's like. I know what it's like to... I always said it's the one of the uses of greed. that If you really, really want something, <laughs> you have to if you're going to do a project like that. Um, and that it's worth it. It's worth it to take on the karma of being greedy. <laughs> <laughs> just make it for a good purpose.
2: <laughs> um, oh, it is working. Good. Um, I've always been intrigued with the fullest meaning of I see you that the mm. Buddha literally yes. makes tomorrow. And yeah. I just wondered if you have any comments on that.
0: Well, I like that a lot. Um, It always makes me laugh. And there's a couple of stories in the sutras of of, uh, young nuns who are tempted in the forest by Mara, sexually tempted. And they say, I see you, Mara. Zounds, he says, and he runs away. (laughs) So... um, I think that our seeing is the most important thing, that we tend not to want to see. And if we're going to do something naughty, we don't see what we're doing as much as possible. So it was their way of dealing with their own temptation to, to forcefully agree to themse- with themselves to... Take in what was actually going on.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Um, my uh, question, comment is similar to Nancy's. I wonder if there is a difference between hope and optimism. Because, again, some of the old and the new science both says that without optimism, people wouldn't have survived concentration camps, um, wouldn't have, uh, that the thing that makes people resilient mm-hmm. is the ability, as I think Thich Nhat Hanh said, to f- see the flower in the compost heap. Mm. Um, and... We're not talking about a sort of, I'm not talking about a sort of mindless hot tub peacock feather kind of uh, <laughs> uh, cheerfulness. Mm. But, but a, a, a serious look at um, what might possibly be a, a positive outcome out of a miserable situation. Oh,
0: absolutely. I think we need to work toward resolution in every situation that that's what we do, if we're not clouded and confused by all of our hopes and wishes. If we can see clearly, then we can begin to see how to, how to be in a situation in a in a, a useful way, in a, in a real way. So, I think the people... I'm thinking of my father-in-law, who was um, thrown in jail by the Nazis in Holland, and how much he enjoyed it because he was that kind of person, and uh, got to know the people uh, who were in jail with him and uh, saw it as a great adventure. Um, I think some people are able to do that, um, but not everybody, I think, is equipped with that kind of, of positive thinking. And I think we just have to deal with what we've got and see as clearly as we can, each one of us. And if we're, if we're that positive thinking, like Opa, <laughs> then it, it's a blessing, I think. But I don't think many people come equipped with that
1: think it's teachable.
0: I wonder. I wonder. Maybe so. We start with little kids. Yeah. Thanks. This one. Behind you there's behind somebody. You there's somebody.
2: <laughs> it was uh, a great reflection. I just think, uh, I, I, was, I remember reading Trumpa about uh, hope and, and thinking, you know, if he didn't have hope, he would still be in Tibet. Uh, he fought valiantly for years uh, and struggled and was reaching for something that wasn't present I mean, he lived in Scotland in, in uh, you know, relative obscurity for years and then was able to bring his teaching. And so I just think the hope that he was talking against must be the hope that some external factor will change your life. Mm-hmm. And really what he was saying is we, we need to maybe trust is a better word. We need to trust ourselves that we can change our lives and move in a new direction.
0: Absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: I guess, is this working okay? Mm-hmm. Um For me, I guess I think of the difference between hope and expectation. Um, where I can be hopeful as long as I'm not tied to the result. I've heard that um, an expectation is a premeditated resentment. (laughs) (laughs) So, so, I mean, so I think I can have like a positive. You know, I I can hope for a lot of things. It's when I it's when I tie myself to the results that I set myself up for disappointment.
0: Thank you. Way in the back. <laughs> Very patient. Turn it on.
3: It was a good practice waiting this long. I had to look at desire and aversion. <laughs> Nancy's question really intrigued me. I also had cancer. And um, I really didn't want to die, and I didn't think that I would die, but I couldn't hit it over the head. Yeah, I couldn't um, fight it. I could only invite it to leave. Yes, um, that, And yet I felt like, in another way, I was really fighting. But I wasn't fighting for hope. And I think faith is a really good distinction. And I think we also have problems with the concept of faith because in our culture, faith has been tied at times with, you know, forgive me for being uh, too blunt, but uh, leaving your brains at the church door. Yeah. (laughs) And faith, when I look at it more in terms of, what is my experience? What can I trust? What can, can I trust to perhaps be true and work towards that? That is a different way of looking Towards how I can meet whatever comes to me. Yeah.: So I think Nancy's question was very important to me because I think we all want we wrestle with, with that hope, and somehow we find that the ways that we have to deal with really difficult things in our lives, we have to have something leading us forward. And what is that? So:
0: Thank you. That's exactly right. Yeah. And the follow up to Nancy's remark was the remark about the triple treasure that we have Buddha Dharma Sangha on which to rely. So that's where our mm, strength is is from the the resource, our immediate Interior resource, you could say. Um, time.
1: Right here. First. Me? First. Okay, thank you. Um, could you speak a bit more about the last topic you were discussing, which was about and you know, of between me and someone else? There's uh, mm-hmm. the uh, it's, it's pretty much relationship and letting go. Mm-hmm. And and uh, the confusing part is, is, does that mean letting go, uh, to let go, to say goodbye? Or does that mean letting go of, as was mentioned, uh, expectations or driving toward anything, but letting go and letting be what yes. will be?
0: Yes, that. it's um, That's something else that we're only beginning to really explore is how relationship works in a a physical way in our bodies, Um, how we begin, how we reflect, literally reflect each other, so that if I raise my arm, in your brain, your your arm-raising brain, part of your brain, is doing the same thing. It's very weird, really, if you think of yourself as a, a separate being, but if we... I think what we're beginning to notice and we've known for ages is this between is um, the strength of relationship that there's me and you but what's real is what's in between us that's happening. Yeah.
4: Um... The discussion of hope had me think of uh, Viktor Frankl's book Man's Search for Meaning and I remember in particular he he talked about other I don't know inmates whatever you want to call them um, dying because they hoped of a liberation that didn't come so oh, they would yes. say you know oh, it's going to happen you know in a month from now and they'd be very excited and in that month it wouldn't yeah. happen
1: yeah. now
4: it may have happened in six weeks instead of the four they were expecting and they they just died Um, But it's interesting to notice, too, it's also in a very external event. So they were waiting for an external liberation. Mm -hmm. So these, the allies, are going to come and save me from this this terrible experience. It's it's interesting that in some ways the power of hope in a negative sense of really setting up that expectation... And I know I was thinking, too, because the last weekend was the, supposed to be the end of the world. or yeah. Was it? yeah. And just wondering about all those people who set up this expectation of that day magically being raised up and being in a beautiful place. And then thinking, just imagining inside their minds, uh, minutes or hours later, and wondering, well, why am I still here? Yeah. What just happened? Because it was set up so much as the, you know, we'll be taken away and this external thing will happen to us. Um, that is actually, that's been ruminating with me for the last week of just sort of a sadness for
0: yeah. that. Though I wrote a poem about that because I was up at Point Reyes when we were all supposed to be, <laughs> the rapture was supposed to happen. And I thought, well, I must be one of the chosen because I'm in this wonderful place. <laughs> this is heavenly. <laughs> I'd like to thank you very much for this talk and also for all your years at Jikogi. Uh Thanks to IMC, I've had that Jikoji experience and it changed my life in the most wonderful way. Oh thank you. Thank you you also for modeling. I think uh, when when Nancy posed her question, I think you were showing us this is the way you can open your mind. Maybe let's let's look into this. Yes. So I'm so thank you thankful for your teaching. Thank you. Thank you very much, all of you. Great questions. We'll carry this around for a while.